it's a renewable resource, but the trick is that it takes longer than a human lifetime to renew. So, uh, in Western culture where we, we don't really give a lot of thought to three generations down the line, right? We, we pretty much take ours and get ours and that's kind of what capitalism is. So there's an interesting question of what, what are our needs for timber in 50 years? Like there's going to be a lot of technological changes. I don't ever see there not being a need for wood. I think that as human beings, we like making stuff out of wood. Wood is dope. It's, we still build homes out of dope just because it's the, the, the most practical and affordable method. But like, I think we're always going to want a wood coffee table. Mic check one, two, one, two, one, two. What's going on everybody? Welcome back to think space. Just getting my, my notes open here in this. Oh, what's this little fly little notebook? Maybe available for purchase soon. Anyways, guys, today we got someone super fire on uh, part of the family here. It's self-hired Everett Bumstead, who's a uh, director, filmmaker. Uh, he's one of us. He's one of us. If you clicked on this, it's because you're interested in tree planting, want to know more about what that is, that profession, what's the story behind this whole thing. The reason why we had Everett on is because this is an observation, this profession is an observation of life. Um, it's a philosophical study of, of humans and the, the hero's journey, the human experience. Uh, this is a, a film, we talk about the film, we talk about tree planting, we talk about the um, methodology and emotions and the obsession with struggle that us humans have, what connects us and why. So a lot of big picture conversation here. Ev tells a couple stories. Uh, really, really dope to have someone uh, internal. And uh, Ev does a lot of work with us at self hard. We love him. Uh, that's our guy. And we're so happy for him uh, and the team as a whole to be producing in partnership with CBC uh, and put, putting out an incredible documentary coming out. So uh, this is a precursor to uh, One Million Trees, which is coming out on CBC Gem on November 6th and uh, CBC Television uh, on November 7th, uh, self-hire production uh, directed uh, by your own Everett Bumstead. You're going to see here uh, a character you'll grow to love. So we talk about the home, the human growth experience in a whole new way. I love it because it's not like other other genres or things that are more played out. This is very authentic You've never heard stories like this before, and I'm honored to, to have this conversation. Ev, thank you for coming out and making the time, and uh, here's the pod. Let's go. The Think Space podcast is a home for the passionately curious. We aim to dig deep and learn as much as possible by connecting the right questions with the right people. So we bring in some of the best minds in the Pacific Northwest, regardless of their industry, to extract the most value from their stories and experiences. Yes, you're gonna get something from this episode, which is good. Or you could get something from every episode we release by subscribing on whichever platform you're listening on. You could find the full show notes at thinkspacepodcast.com or have the visual experience of this podcast over on YouTube. If you wanna get looped into some exclusive content or private giveaways, join our mailing list. The link's in the description. What, when you talk about the film, like what it, what's important for you to get across to your audience? and to our audience like what's important if you were to be like i want them to know one thing or two things or just get one concept across like what, what would it what would that be i want people to think of it as a as the tree planter's journey Ooh, um, the tree planter's journey so we're gonna, that's the destination right there what is the tree planter's journey uh it's a little bit different for everybody but there's i think milestones along the way that everybody hits um but for this movie, I think about, or I, I mean, I compared it to the the hero's journey, like the classic Ooh. story structure, the Joseph Campbell. But in tree planting, it's it's the rainy day, you know, the rain all day day that everybody goes through and, and uh, the growth that comes from that. Yeah, that's dope. That's dope. Okay, we'll definitely get that across. Let's just fucking roll from there. Fuck, I thought we were going. I was uh-huh. like, oh shit. You're man. like, oh man, you all tense up and shit. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh God. Oh God, the press run is starting. The press run is starting. For That's real. crazy. Um, no, but for real, Ev, um, can we talk about David Epp? So context here, context here. So for people that don't know, there's this like unspoken world of tree planters that if you maybe like grow up on the island, how did you get into tree planting? Hold on, let's just take a step back. How, like, what was, how, what was your introduction there? I first heard about tree planting from a group of like, uh, you would maybe like, you'd call them gutter punk hippie kids on commercial drive. 
mm-hmm. drinking caribous with their dog. Mm-hmm. I stopped and chatted and they told me that they were supporting themselves from tree planting. Yeah. And I thought I wanted nothing to do with that or these people, <laughs> but I heard you could make 15 grand in three months and that appealed to me. That's not bad. Yeah. That's not bad. So I heard about tree planting because just like that was the thing to do. So like on Hornby in the summers you would, uh, wait, serve, and then in the shoulder seasons and whatnot, you would just, you'd go away and all the tree planters like would show up and like, so like June 1st, we'd all be like hella hungry cause we're broke. Um, cause the winter just happened and nothing's happening on the islands in the winter. So we're out of money. We're broke. We're like ready to go. We're like so psyched. And then they're coming back and they're like rolling in it. And they're just like, yeah, like I might serve like two days a week and to kind of just like bum around on the beach type thing. And so that was like my introduction to it. So like everyone that I knew that was a tree planter was kind of like this, like alternative person that was, um, a hustler, like an, like someone that knew how to, how to work, like truly, truly knew how to work. But yet on the surface level, you'd be like, oh, that's a beach bum. You'd be like, oh, it's a surf bum or something like that. Like you just look at him and be like, ah, meh, that person over there type thing. But it, if you were to actually see them in any situation, any work situation, these people go, these people go like, unlike other, like, unlike any other profession, like a lot of times you see people and you're like, yeah, like they're working, but like, they're like, they're not, they're not in it. They're not like, they don't have a high motor. Like they're in second gear. Like all the tree planters that I know, like whether it's watching you in filmmaking or something or, or, or shooting music videos or whatever, it's like this motherfucker is in fourth, fifth, and he is going. Did you pick that up like on the block or were you just like, like that from birth? I think, uh, I've had a hardworking mentality in my life, but I think nothing can uh, set you up for that as well as tree planning, as well as doing a job that's piece rate. I think that's the really key important piece rate. Piece rate um, is that you get paid based on the work you do. You get paid per tree. It's not hourly. It's not daily. Um, you, right. If you show up for work and you just sit around, you that's don't get it. paid. You don't get paid. Yeah. Yeah. So you make your own salary in that way. Yeah, that, that'll motivate you to, to get going. So is there people, okay, I'm trying to, how would you explain the tree planner's journey from your perspective? Like what was your story and, and what were the associated like ups and downs and emotions that were, that kind of took you through this whole thing enough t- to inspire you to when you got this opportunity with CBC to actually go tree planning? Like what, what was that? What's that whole backstory there? Yeah, there's a hell of a journey there because when I think of myself before tree planting, it's a totally different person. When I went into it, I was fresh after film school. I was kind of disillusioned with the film industry in Vancouver. And I was actually really questioning whether this is something that I wanted to do. So um, when I first went tree planting, I had it in my head that I didn't want to be like these punks and these hippies. I kind of had this idea that I was like, I was better than that or something. You didn't embrace the, the I, hippie dumb? I didn't. My first year, I oh, didn't go man. to a single party. I didn't want to socialize. I didn't want to make friends. I, I had this mentality that I'm going to show up, get my paycheck, and I'm going to leave, and I'm going to take that money and go to Europe. And, oh. and I had this specific goal in mind, and I, cho- I tried as hard as I could to not participate. But after I finished my first season, I had a year of reflections after that, and I realized that I met some like really impressive people I made some really great friends and there was a little bit something more to this. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I went back and and in my second year, I guess that was the start of like in my life kind well, of a well, wilding well, sorry, out. What year are we at? So my uh my second year. So my it's first a, year like I, twenty what? Twenty This is two thousand thirteen was my first year. Oh shit. This is a minute ago. This is a minute ago. And then I took a year off. I traveled in Europe with the money that I made. Nice. Come back completely broke. Yep. Uh so all the more reason to do it again. But then I also had in mind that I missed out on something the first round. Got it. And, uh, and then in the second year that was, uh, you know, a lot of people have like a university experience or music festival experience. That was like my wilding out years of experimenting. Right, and, right, uh, right, right. And, uh, it was, yeah, the next couple of years it was, I was really in that world. Like I didn't have a cell phone for three years. I didn't have Instagram or Facebook. The only That's way you right. could reach me was by email. Um, oh man i was uh i was in a whole different mindset that's hype and i was ready to pretty much give up on filmmaking i i had, oh shit yeah it, to be honest when i was planting i at the time it felt like i was going down almost like a dark path or something i was like am i getting further away from my goals and so now it's 
crazy to look back on it and think that tree planting is actually what gave me probably my biggest opportunity with filmmaking so far. Yeah, full circle. Right. That's super dope. So you did two seasons? I did a third season after that. Yeah. Came so back. why'd you come back the third time? Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I just started loving it. <laughs> and I had a bunch of friends and my, my cousin was planting, so I wanted to join her in her camp. And um, it's it was, it was such a time. And you, when you leave, you don't think about how hard the job is. You think about the parties and the friends. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it gets romanticized, so. This episode is brought to you by Self Hired. Self Hired, if you don't know, is a content studio that specializes in video production as well as photography and yes, podcast production. So if you are an individual or you are head of a company or a marketing manager or a content manager at a company that's thinking about one of the most powerful mediums in 2020 and want to start a podcast, uh, give the fellas over at Self Hired um, a call that you can reach them at selfhired.com. Um, or info at selfhired.com if you want to blast them an email. Thank you guys so much. And here's to the episode. Got it, got it, got yeah. it. Yeah, like anytime you do something that's super hard, whether that's like a super hard job or like a hike or something, and when you're in it, you're like, this is horrible. <laughs> and then you look back on it and you're like, ah, oh, that wasn't so bad. Mm. And it just like instantly gets reframed. It instantly gets reframed. It keeps on bringing you back. And it it's this weird obsession that, I think it's this weird obsession that we live a life that's like so privileged and like so easy, like just blatantly easy. Like, I don't care. Like if you make $20,000 a year, 50, a hundred, like, dude, if you're living in Canada, your life's pretty fucking easy. Um, even if you're working nonstop, like that's a privilege to work nonstop. And I feel like there's this, like, I don't know, like primal need to like, actually go into a wretched situation rain coming down you're on the block mud in your your boots blisters on your feet you duct tape in your whole legs at this point and just be like in it and i don't think that other professions give you that but that's so that's kind of like my theory on why people keep on going back is there's this like primal attraction to it but i'm curious to hear for you like you've now gone through this documentary you've talked to people that have planted like i don't know what's the what's the smallest amount of trees that the people that you interviewed would would have would have planted like was it is it a thousand is it 10 it would be so we interviewed a couple of people after just one season and they had planted her between like 90 to 110,000 okay, okay, okay in their first season up to up to the 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 person with the most was around 7 million so <laughs> along that spectrum that's fucking wild um along 7 million Okay. Got it. It's impossible to fathom. What really. does 7 million trees look like? Um, anyways, so like along that spectrum, what is the thing or the catalyst or the common narrative that you find these people keep coming back for? Because it can't be the money. I don't know. If you plant 7 million trees, maybe it is the money. Mm. Money is a big play. I think it's interesting because making this documentary, I've really looked for a through line with all these people. Like what is the commonality? And I consistently find my expectations defeated. Like you mentioned that every tree planter, you know, is really hardworking. And I, I would agree to with that, but I know some lazy tree planters. Uh, nice. So it's tough to call. Uh, there are a lot of things that you can kind of say are general commonalities, maybe like masochism is, is kind of one of it but like people who have a, a tolerance for pain and an interest in like working hard people who have a, a a love for the outdoors but once you start like finding these commonalities they end up being really vague because you get such a mix of people you know you have everyone from like ex oil rig workers to like environmental studies majors at ubc right it's a big uh right. mixing pot when you actually get into the camps yeah, it's so weird. I'm like, I'm trying to put like in my head as I'm like preparing for this conversation. I'm like, what's the archetype? I'm like, who's that fucking person? And and then I remember going back and when we did the rough cut, uh, however long ago, and you had a bunch of tree planters there. And I think it was like a two hour rough cut. Mm -hmm. And you there were so many interviews and stuff like that. And I'm like thinking in my head, I'm like, man, there's not a single type of person that does this. Everyone does this. 
you know, like black, white, brown, whatever, young, old. Like there's the guys with the kids, the guys with the dog, the young girl, like right out of university, the the the, uh, the the kids that haven't even gone to university yet. It's just like there's, what the fuck is it that unites these people? At, like, what's your conclusion? Because I know you you said that you tried to find a through line. That was, that was the word I was looking for earlier. It's a bar. Um, what is the through line with these people? Because if there's anyone that knows, it's you. Yeah, that's a great question. And I think the fact that I struggle with it so hard says something. I think the through line is tree planting itself. It's it's the only thing that unites all these people is that they've all been through this like similarly muddy, yeah. nasty experience. I Before they go planting, man, it's hard. It's hard to really find something like 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 I said, yeah, hardworking. Nah, not all of them. Yeah. Like, um, love for the outdoors. No environmentalists. No, I've yeah. met people who like are straight up, uh, conspiracy theorists that believe climate change, like climate change deniers, deniers that are yeah. tree planters. That doesn't line up, man, but okay. Yeah, sure. I right. believe you. Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think that it's, it's the actual, it's the tree planting. That's the only thing you can really, damn. Yeah. The only thing that unites them is that's like going to war. Mm. What's the commonality with the veterans? They went there. <laughs> right. And, and that's a pretty apt comparison actually, like for, to start often planters, I'll see planters show up with army boots. It's a really useful uh, boot for, for tree planting is, okay. is these like high ankle yeah. Yeah. leather boots. Um, but there are days where, you know, like a walk-in is a common thing with planting. That means you have to walk into the place where you're going to work. And sometimes you get like a, an 8K walk-in in the morning. So you got to, oh, you got to walk shit. to work. 8K? And that's through like, you don't know what it's through. It's through mud. It's through the, through straight through the bush. I've had to walk in straight through like dense bush. And you don't get paid for that. Sometimes you do. Sometimes okay, you cool. get a little hundred bucks on top at the end of the day. Damn. But, uh. Uh, I forgot where I was going with the walk. I, I don't know. Uh, veterans army boots. Right. Is it when you're in that, when you're in that line walking in and you got like 20 people ahead and behind you and you're in your boots and you got your bags and your shovel. It, it, it's, yeah, it feels it's like, like war. a, yeah. An environmentalist war, right? You're, you're waging war against, I don't know. That's, that's saying Word. Too much, I'm but. into it. I'm into it. I'm definitely, I'm most definitely into mm. it. Listen, I'm an environmentalist. I guess you could call me that for sure. I'm a hippie. That's for sure. Um, with that, like you got 20 people in a line, they're all in their boots. You got sacks of things, uh, you know, of, of trees on your side. Like, is there an enemy? Like when I think about tree planters and I think the common conception is that they're going there because they're fighting deforestation. Is that true? Yeah. You, you can't really put it as plainly as that because the, the big thing that we talk about in the documentary is that in Canada, tree planting exists because of government mandates on the logging industry. So if you log a certain percentage of what you log has to be replanted. And so this is like corporate liability. Like we are just like, we exist on the fringes of logging cash, basically. Like it's still affordable to log and pay us to replant. So that's why we do it. And that's part of the high cost of timber as well. It's all incorporated into the cost of timber. So, um, the reality is that the trees that you're planting are meant to be cut down. They're planted on property owned by logging and paper companies, etc. And so it's a, it's a big key theme in the film and it's something with a lot of nuances because, you know, at least in Canada, we do put them back right in, in other countries, they don't have these, uh, legislations. And so you end up with these clear cutting, just devastating the environment. Um, so, uh, yeah. Okay. It's okay. Tricky. Okay. Okay. So it's like in other countries, it's okay. It's good that we do this, but it's like, Hey, you're raping the environment once and then leaving it to regrow as opposed to raping it once, regrowing it, raping it again. And it's just kind of a cycle. I would rather the country that doesn't replant it and just moves on. And then it just like naturally grows back over hundreds of years. No, like, do you feel like you're part of the cycle? I think we are part of the cycle. I think that that's a fair criticism to make. Yeah. Um, as a documentary filmmaker, my I love that my job is to allow other people to speak 
for themselves. And so I hate to reiterate something that someone in the documentary says, but we talk about how what we're replanting isn't forests as nature intended or as, as it was in nature. We're replanting high yielding timber crops and these trees have been grown in, in nurseries in a very manufactured way, often with the use of pesticides, uh, you know, not always, um, there's a lot of nuances again with environmental policies and stuff like that. But essentially, although in Canada we plant mixed species, we don't just plant a straight forest of pine trees because we realize that monocrops are a bad thing, you know, kind of at most we're planting three or four species which is so far from how it was before we intervened in nature at all so right right i i think yeah having an opinion on your questions out of my got it range i I don't exactly know listen having an opinion in general for me is unearned because Mm. like i haven't planted a single tree in my fucking life so like it's almost atrocious for me to even comment or have an opinion but just from an outsider's point of view right um the industry is crazy and like with my with my background in in finance and wealth management it's like especially as it pertains to sustainable wealth management and ethical wealth management it's like well what's gray what's black like there's no yeah so okay great you're you're replanting it it's gonna get milled down again however it's gonna have a prosperous i don't know 30 years 20 years does that count for something or does it not um, you're employing uh, local people to get out in nature and you're, you're uh, holding forestry companies accountable for what they mow down. And so like on one side, it's like, well, this is just industrial bullshit. It's just gonna get mowed down again. And on the other hand, it's like, well, there's a lot of positives to this. It's like, I'm not here to say like, oh, it's good or it's bad. Um, I'm just here more to kind of like look at the whole thing from a distance and, and really just be like, huh, <laughs> like what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Um, with the advancement of, like technology and stuff like that. Is this always going to be, is this always going to be a thing or is this just like a period in time that we do this? I think that's such an interesting question. And, uh, and it's something I was asking as part of the documentary too. Nice. Um, we did not confer on that, uh, beforehand. This is good. This is good. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, the, my favorite response was this by this from Josh Lichty. Who's, uh, he plays a big role in the documentary and this part actually was cut from it. So I don't mind. Oh no. Shame. Shout out but Josh. He put it so well. He's, he said, um, we're a part, it's a, it's a renewable resource, but the trick is that it takes longer than a human lifetime to renew. So, uh, in Western culture where we, we don't really give a lot of thought to three generations down the line, right? We, we pretty much take ours and get ours and that's kind of what capitalism is. So there's an interesting question of what, what are our needs for timber in 50 years? Like there's going to be a lot of technological changes. I don't ever see there not being a need for wood. I think that as human beings, we like making stuff out of wood. Wood is dope. It's we still build homes out of dope just because it's the 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 most practical and affordable method. But like, I think we're always going to want a wood coffee table. Yeah, like something about it. Red right? cedar, oak. Ooh. You know, wood is just so beautiful and elegant in the way that like metal or plastic could never be. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's that. Is it, is the demand always going to be there? I don't know. Is the way that we treat it like, uh, in terms of it being a renewable energy, uh, a re- renewable source, or is it how we're navigating it with these tree planters? Is that always going to be a thing? There's just like so many moving parts to it that when I look at it and that was one of my, the biggest questions is just being like, man, how valid is this conversation? Because it's like, is this just one of those things that like happened for 50 years and then we like forgot about it? Or like, we're creating, and then I was like, my, my, my answer, this is this is my self-dialogue. Um, my answer to that is like, well, now you're creating a breed of humans that transcend it. Whereas it's like, the trees almost don't matter because the people that have planted 7 million or a million or 500,000 trees, that's a breed, that's a whole new type archetype of person that now that we've never seen before and they're creating a whole new subculture and that's the shit that matters not to say trees don't matter but it's just like the people that are that derive from the blocks are just like so incredible and as an ob like as an observer of this whole thing 
seeing you and your natural evolution, whether it's as a, as a filmmaker or whatever it is that you do with the rest of your life, that is the most interesting thing possible because it's like, what do these do? What do these people do after they've had their time? They're one year, they're two years, they're five years. Is there like commonalities in that at all? Like how do they grow? Do they grow in one direction or do they grow everywhere? That's a, yeah, that's a great question too. I think there are plenty of commonalities. One is the film industry in Vancouver. Oh yeah. Oh, you're going to find a lot of tree planters working here in the film, uh, because you're working 18 hour days, right. In the film industry, you're working crazy hard and there's not a lot of like criminal background checks. So a lot of the people who (laughs) can't find other easy forms of employment actually end up in the film industry in Vancouver. Um, but aside from that, there's definitely people who continue to work in the forestry industry. Um, yeah. There's all kinds of outdoors, uh, um, geology type jobs, yeah, 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 yeah. but you'd be so surprised of the people who were once tree planters. Um, we talked with a woman who was, uh, um, on track to take her bar exam to become a lawyer who had planted a million trees. That's right. Um, you, you can, you can find people from all walks of life that do this thing. That's gangster. Yeah. I guess gangster. So like, all right. So, so. Like people don't understand and maybe all the tree planters that are listening do. So sorry if this is redundant, but like for probably our audience, it's kind of like, okay, it's like, well, these guys actually do like, what is the, like, what is the day? Like you, you guys go out there, do you get trucked in? Do you have to walk in? Do you fly in? Do you get boated in? Like, are you sleeping in tents? Like, how does this shit all work? Can you just like lay that out for anyone that's kind of like, okay, what do these guys do? Absolutely. Yeah. So there's all, there's a lot of variations in camps, whether you're in Ontario or on the coast of Vancouver Island, you're likely staying in a motel. This film was really about kind of Western Canada and BC and Alberta planting. And that's my experience. So I'll just speak on my experience, Absolutely. which is living in a bush camp. So, Oh shit. It's yeah. real out here, son. <laughs> so I was in, yeah, you're living in a bush camp. You're a good, you know, hundred K at least from the nearest, you know, rural yeah. A gas station of a you town. You call it a bush camp. Yeah, yeah. You're you're in the bush. You're on a logging road. The army boot compares fire. Anyways, keep going. Yeah, exactly. So you you wake up. I think what is it? Dinner, breakfast is at breakfast is served at six. Yeah. You're in the trucks at seven. Um, and you yeah you're driving like F-150s, F-250s to the block. You're a group of like five or six people in a crew. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, my camps were around like 50 to 60 people. And each truck will drive to their own individual spot. But from camp, you're often driving between a half hour to an hour and a half to get to work because you're in very remote areas. Um, Once you're there, the day itself isn't crazy long. It's about an eight, nine hour day. Although there are days where you have to finish the trees in the truck or you have to finish the land that you're working on because you can't come back tomorrow. Yeah. There's stuff like that. But for the most part, it's pretty regulated. Like a lot of tree planters, uh, a lot of the like old veterans will really uh, be firm about, no, I'm done at 430. And if you're still, if the crew's still planting at 430, the old guys will just. Really? Yeah. They're like, nah, I've been doing this too long. Yeah. and you come back to you come back home to camp and and you're fed so well man you get there's oh. there's a warm baked fresh baked bread and oh, soup every go. day uh, you get a you get a really great meal um shout out to the camp cooks because shout out to the camp cooks that's an insane job feeding these like ungrateful like <laughs> heart like people who've just been in the Mongrels, rain all day dog, yeah, yeah exactly yeah and you eat so well. There's dessert every day, and uh, that's sweet, hot man. breakfast. It's great, and uh, yeah. So who who are the like who are some of these characters that you interviewed? Like some of these old dogs, like uh, uh, David Epps. Ep, Ep, yep, David yep. Epps. Yeah. Check my notes. Ep, yep. Um, what like what was your experience like talking to them? And when you approached them, and you're like, "Hey, we're making a film on on tree planting." Like, just what was that experience talking to those guys? Because I've you know, I've had some chats with some old dogs in my day and like these motherfuckers are weathered son. Like they have, they have stories on stories on stories. And I'm curious with a profession like tree planting, not a summer job, a profession, um, what your experience was, you know, talking to these guys that have, have had that. And if you can share any stories. Absolutely. My answer to that would be intimidating. Intimidating. Yeah. 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 I think like part of a big part of my agenda was that, 
I know that as a tree planter, this culture is incredibly uh, inclusive and they, there's a very high, like to make a film about tree planting, you really have to know it and you really have to have lived it. And I know that everyone who's planted is going to be asking that question as the first thing. Yeah. And so me having planted, you know, three, four seasons, I've planted a little under half a million trees. That's legit. It's, and, and that's what any normal person would okay. say. <laughs> but to me, I barely reach the qualifications of understanding what this game really is. Really? Which is okay because I'm a documentary filmmaker and my job is to get these people to speak on their own right. stuff. Right. So it gave me just enough information to understand that I needed like the legends. And so it was really important to me that we got in with some of these crews. Like there's some crews where they're tree planting companies that like you can't even get their email because they're not trying to recruit workers. They're trying to yeah. just be themselves, their team of 15 people every oh. single year. It's, it's very small uh, groups who like have a different standard. So, Damn. so one of the people that we filmed with is rainforest reforestation and, and they're based out of Vancouver. Um, and you can't get their information like publicly. This is hype. Okay, cool. Keep going. Yeah. Every person on this crew has planted at least two or 3 million trees. Like Damn. this is a different level. They call them highballers. It's taken from logging actually is a term. Sweet. This is a different level of a highballer crew. Like these Damn. people, you cannot even apply for this job without a decade in pretty much. Really? I, I made a joke to the supervisor that like he treats his crew so well and they they've got such a good standard of working that he was going to get my resume next year and he's <laughs> he told me you're going to need about six more years damn yeah wow so yeah getting to those conversations with guys like david epp uh eric walsh is one yeah. uh tom Pauly, alain belanger these are some of the heaviest hitters in the documentary um it's intimidating because i First of all, I'll have to gain their trust as a legit person. Right. And then these are like crusty tree planters, man. They're not really open. They don't really give a good interview. They have the stories, like you say. They've had the wildest experiences. But to to have, be a stranger and to walk into their living, their motel room, and, and get these people to open up to it is a task of its own for sure. Wow. Okay, so... As a as an interviewer, and now I'm now I'm getting selfish with the questions. Like how how did you crack? Because that's a hard fucking shell to crack, dude. I can like I didn't really understand, and now I'm kind of starting to get a little bit. Where it's just like, I could see after a decade of tree planting, and there's just like some young yeah, I planted a couple seasons. I could see like the fuck you attitude start to come up a little bit. Be like, yeah, you're gonna try and tell our story, but you're gonna fuck it up anyway because you haven't been here for two decades. So like. And I'm just like projecting that hella, right? I don't, I don't know. Um, but like, what? How did you crack that shell of that old, you know, hardened dude or, or or girl that like has those stories? How do you get to the gold? I would say, I would say that at times I feel like I, I wish I had cracked that harder. I wish I had yeah, yeah, done yeah. better in that department. I think it's something I can improve at. But I think it's it was with my network that people that I'd met from my own personal experience, I used that weight and I, by take being professional and serious as a filmmaker and being very like clear about my intentions and my goals of what I was doing, I think I earned the trust of some like really key people who uh, vouched for me mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. was it. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know if I could have done it on my own. You know, I think I needed uh, someone like Aaron Bross is, is someone I'd love to throw up there because she, uh, got me an interview with Dirk Brinkman and she got me uh, just like trusted. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. yeah. Dude, it's so interesting hearing you say these names because you say them in a way that like I would say like LeBron James. Right. 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 Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know, like you're like Dirk Brinkman. You're like, it's like Mike Drop, you know, like, and it's not, it's just a nuanced little thing where it's just like, there's so much respect. Like that's what Birdman meant when he meant like put some fucking respect on my name type mm, thing. It's mm. like, that's it. Which is like, there's a weight to that name that other people can't really understand, but they can understand the weight, but they don't know everything behind it type thing. Right. Um, so you got the cosine is kind of what I'm hearing, mm-hmm. right? Like you're like, Hey, not some super, like yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm legit, but like some super legit people were like, Hey, you know what I missed though, is that 
I ha- I did a season planting the coast. Okay. And the coast is like it's it's like the NHL or something of tree planting. It's kind of the big leagues. It's where the professionals go. Is this like steep, crazy, mountainous terrain where they plant nine months of the year? They plant in February on the coast. Okay. So okay. So it's hectic conditions and bad terrain and you're yeah like so let's say my worst day in prince george uh the land is so bad that they're gonna pay me 17 cents per tree what do you usually get paid i should have fucking started with that so question. yeah let's say in alberta maybe when you're you're in like a muddy flat land field and it, mud is easy right there's no rocks you can just put your shovel in Oh, mud is easy. Got it. It's cool, flat. Cool, you don't cool, have to cool, climb cool. any hills. You don't have to carry your trees up hills. So you're getting maybe like 10, 11, 12 cents a tree. Cross over to BC, your Prince George, you're dealing with a bit more elevation. You got some rocks. You got um, whatever else to deal with. So the price goes up a bit. On the coast, you know, the prices start around like 21, 22 cents and they go up to 35 cents yeah. or even more. So yeah. you are scaling mountains. Like they're, they're, you're taking a boat uh, like in some situations you're taking a boat into work a helicopter's picking you up off that boat it's dropping you off with a pile of trees on top of a mountain and it's your job to plant your way down the mountain and then when you get to the end, bottom that's your end of Man. the day like i need to go do a season dude. that's this the reality sick. <laughs> they call me billy go biggins dog that's what they call me <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna call you that for now um that sounds sick um i need to go do this for sure okay 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 so you go there, coast mountains are so the, sorry. The, the coastal territory is super super tough. They they don't just like let anyone go. Yeah, typically you need like three or four years experience before you'll do it. I've heard stories of people like in their first year going to the coast, but it's always a disaster story of, it, of how it, bad got it, it was. Got it, so, got it, got it. Yeah, dude, it's so interesting for me to like to hear you talk about these things because, like, tree planting is like, dude, this is a podcast. The podcast world is like growing so quick and so much and we've been doing it for a couple years now and shit it's dope but all the people that come on are like relatively the same you know like they're athletes they're business owners like you get similar narratives like they're talking about instagram influencers they're talking about um scaling business they're talking about self-development and shit like that it's like nah dog we're here talking about fucking tree planting like that's so gangster Mm. um as like in comparison to everything else because it's something that i feel has so much like inherent value it's just a gem on its own and yet it's not played out like it's undiscovered in a way and being able to like that's what's so dope about this one million trees documentary is that you're taking something that's like left field and you're bringing into the mainstream with like you're not doing this with joe schmo down the block you're doing this with cbc this is a real production um and you're bringing it into the mainstream and i'm 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 hoping that people can kind of like get a different perspective um with all this and, and try to grow a little bit because like i just said i feel like we are so many topics are so played out there's so much conversation going on and everyone is just trying to feel connected with their audience and yet no one really is because no one's going out there and talking about outlandish shit or outlandish topics right like i know you're doing a press run right now like you're about to go and and hit other podcasts and stuff like that like i guarantee you're gonna get a bunch of yeses just because people are gonna be like yo tree planting Mm. what or you're gonna get a blatant nose you're like tree planting what nah yeah you're not showing your ass on instagram get out of here right and so what i'm getting at here is there's such a feeling of disconnect in the general public and the general market with shit that we're talking about like i just feel like we're in an echo chamber um of the same things and so having you come on here and, and have this level of authenticity is incredible um, and the actual stories to back it is incredible. What I'm really curious about is what what is it? Like like I said, it's a gem. And what makes it a gem to me are the inherent qualities of struggle and connection. You guys are tough and you're connected. And like I just said, everyone wants to be super connected with their audience, connected with one each other. We're just looking for connection. We want fucking love. We just want love. We're humans. We want love. And it feels like when I see two tree planters see each other on the street, 
that's love. I don't even know if I've ever been in love. <laughs> you know, it's like thing. What is it that creates that level of like connection and love? Like how? Pain, Pain. Is, is my answer. Masochism is is that we've we've suffered the same things, and uh, the tree the tree planting experience is very universal. Whether you're in Ontario or BC or wherever you are, you're you're dealing with, you know what it's like to absolutely lose your mind because of mosquitoes and black flies. Um, you know what it's like when your entire day is a shit show. You drive to work, your truck gets stuck in the mud. Then someone else's truck gets stuck pulling that truck out of the mud and you're just sitting in a ditch for six hours uh, fighting off flies. Like we've, we've all been through that and we share that and, and like we, yeah, we love it. I think the chaos and I think there's a, there's a certain amount of planter talk. Like I use terms like highball or yeah. um, uh, there's there's all Block. kinds of things like uh yeah like um being like being like a cash slut is is a term it, it's it's like a your cash is where you pick bag up your trees slut is a is a big term in tree planting I, I hate to use that but like slutting up the land is is someone who's <laughs> like who's just putting in bad trees all over the place and and uh, it's never gonna pass what's inspection. A bad tree? oh that's a that's a that's a big question because it's uh it all depends on the specifications per contract, but essentially a good tree is planted in mineral soil. It's there's it's put deep enough that the root is not exposed, but the branches aren't buried either. It's closed tightly, but not too tightly. It's a very like Goldilocks kind of thing um, because you're trying to do this so quickly. You're trying to plant like 4,000 trees in a day. It's pretty hard to care for and love every tree like it's in your garden, right? Yeah. And so there's all these specifications that they put in place so that you don't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. You, you do have to plant these trees properly, and there are people who are going to come check your trees afterwards. And if you don't do it right, you're going to have to go back and replant them and lose your day of wages. So, yeah, um, yeah there are standards even out there in the, in the bush. <laughs> in these camps, in these bush camps. Yeah. Um, so you, that's called slutting up the land. Yeah, shouldn't you? That's the bad introduction term Word, to tree like planting talk. But. Nah, dude, there's people at home going, let's go. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Lay it all on the line. I love it. Um, <laughs> that's gangster shit, man. That's really, really, that's some other stuff. There's like this alternative, um, yeah, culture, lingo. What's the word? Jargon. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Jargon. Um, within uh, Within that, man, like, what is the, as we look at this whole documentary and we look at everything that you've done here, what are some of these, what are some of the, I don't want to say most intense, but like just most memorable stories as you're, whether it's interviewing or things that you've had to go through yourself with the team making the film, like what's stuck out to you over the past? What has it been a year and a half? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh man, it's been, it's been such a, a wild process. Uh, because trying to plan a documentary around tree planting is like organizing chaos. Um, every single, I'm, I'm pretty sure I can say this definitively, that every single shoot that I planned uh, went way off of the plan, like as far as dates and timing and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were trying to, to film uh, pile burning, which is like, it's part of the forestry, like silviculture industry, where to prepare for tree planting in the off season, they burn the logging debris that's left over. We were trying to do that, which is dependent on the season and cloud coverage and all this stuff. And a lot of companies kind of were hesitant about letting us film it because it, it looks a little dark to see these big burning piles in the middle of the woods a Got lot, it. right? Yeah. I think we replanned this shoot probably like 15 times. Um, everything from like, you know, popping a tire on a rental car, 75 K down a logging right, road. Right, 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 right. So driving out on the craziest road on a donut, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, to, wasn't it like heli issues or something? I remember like just looking at the chat sometimes and being like, yeah, the helicopter can't come in today or something like that. Totally. Yeah. yeah there, there were like, we would get delayed because of, of cloud coverage and stuff cloud like coverage. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we had a day where we were kind of set up with the heli for most of the day, but we ended up only getting a ride in the morning. Cause they were like, yeah, the rest of the day's finished. It's just yeah, weather. It's so, a wrap. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you were only, only in BC filming this? Yeah, that's right. Um, the documentary itself has footage from Ontario and Alberta. Yeah. Um, 
And that's from some footage that I'd filmed over my own planting experience. I'd filmed in Alberta. And then we had some contributions from uh, Jonathan Scooter Clark. He's a, he's a bit of a legend in the planting industry. There you go again with the name, name. Scooter? He deserves it. Scooter. Yeah. He's he's a, he, everyone in tree planting knows this guy. Absolutely. He contributed. I think he had 13 years of saved up footage that he sent me. It was over a terabyte of footage that I went through. Another guy, Calvin Van Aragon is a, awesome cinematographer who planted in Ontario and sent yeah. us some shots. Um, we had, we had a bunch of people, people sending us drone footage from Quebec Sweet. and all kinds of stuff like that because we were under a time limit tree planting. The main season goes from May until about the end of July. Mm. And our period of filming was from September until the end of April. So that was like an impossible hurdle right off the bat. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I kind of just had the idea that this footage the B-roll we needed was out there. We just needed to have these conversations with the right people. Got it, got yeah. it, got it, got it, cool. Uh, how did you end up in Cuba? What was the Cuba oh, story? <laughs> you were like, right before we started filming, we were like, oh, did I ever tell you the Cuba story? I was like, Cuba? Right. Okay, what? Yeah, so I was, I was hired to come to Havana and film a couple rap videos for a rapper Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I had known previously. I'd met him in France, and I'd worked with him in France. I had done a video for him in Montreal as well. So this was someone that I had trusted, and uh, so this was not part of the documentary. This is beforehand. This is last June. Everett's a crazy motherfucker. If you guys don't know, anyways, yeah, keep going. Yeah, yeah. So if you talked to me last June, I think I would have said I would have described it like this: that I was hired to come to Cuba for two weeks. I went and the first week was probably the best trip of my life. I filmed rap videos in Havana. I, I like met all kinds of people. I was introduced to all these people and was able to like talk and hang out with them. Cause I was with people who would like help me translate and stuff like that. I interviewed people on the streets in Havana. This was kind of the prerogative of the guy that I was with. And then as the second week began, things started deteriorating. There's a bit of a, a, a fallout and a communication breakdown between between this guy who had hired me to be there so badly that I think it was my second or third last day there he sat me down and he said this is how it's gonna go you're gonna give me the footage and you're gonna give me all my money back for everything I've paid for you or else me and these guys are gonna beat the shit out of you and sell your camera gear in the street Jesus so I had to go to an ATM and take out, I think at that point it was just for my flight and for my accommodations up until then, not including any wages or anything. So it was like a thousand bucks US. I just took out of the ATM and I gave them and I, and I was in a real bad place because I knew, I knew a lot about this guy and he came from a rough place and, and he had um, done time. He had been in and out of prison in France and he was a rough character. And I, I loved that because he was my guy. Like he was the person keeping me safe in Havana up until this point. But when he turned on me, I knew he was strapped. I knew Damn. that I was in a real bad place. And, uh, and then with the money that I gave him, he immediately was splurging really hard on, on alcohol and prostitutes. No. And um, so every time I dealt with him after that, day when he confronted me he was wasted drunk so yeah i got into a bit of a scary situation where he was demanding that i give him this footage but if anybody knows anything about data or videos i had shot over 120 gigs of footage and he gave me a usb stick with 16 gigs of space on it and his cell phone with 8 gigs of space on it and he said put all the footage on here or else we're going to fuck you up. And you're like, it doesn't work like that. And I tried saying that and then it had no, he, it wasn't getting across. And so I was in a hotel room transferring footage. And as I'm transferring footage, I'm like deleting all the big files so that when he does the cross reference, the two sides look the same. And so I'm like cutting down my footage down to like, like, like nothing. Yeah. Like 30% of what I shot somehow and hoping that he doesn't go, what about this day when we filmed over here? Where's that stuff? So, yeah, I uh, <laughs> pulled it off and uh, and got the hell out of Cuba with, uh, like, no money, nothing. And, uh, and yeah, I think, I think I've, I, I, in, if you talked to me back in June, I would have said, you know, like, I got robbed and I would have really, 
I think back then I had a mentality that I was the victim. I had been wronged in this situation. And I think now when I look back on it, I reflect with the restlessness I had and the naivety I had that made me vulnerable. I think I'll never again travel to a place without making an attempt to learn a bit of the language, um, understanding where I'm staying, asking all the right questions. I think as a risk taker, as a bit of a masochist, as a young man uh, who feels yeah. <laughs> uh, completely invulnerable, yeah. I, uh, I thought nothing could go wrong and, yeah. uh, and I've learned a lot since then. So yeah, I think in a lot of ways I put myself into that place. Um, obviously I, I couldn't have predicted what happened, but that's hectic, man. Yeah. So, okay. All right. So when you get okay, 16 gigs and then a cell phone. Yeah. So I'm just like trying to like picture some big ass dude, like giving you like, Hey man, put it all here on like some shitty phone. And, and he's not that big, but he's, he's wiry and he knows how to fight. All right. And he had a gun. Hey, he had a gun. He had a gun. <laughs> Doesn't All matter right. how big he is. Doesn't matter. Yeah, absolutely. So you deleted some stuff, made it look identical, and he was dumb enough to take it? He was drunk enough to take it. Drunk enough to take it. Got it. Cool, 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 cool. And then you immediately just get in a car and go to the airport and get the fuck out of there. Pretty much. I arrived to my flight about eight hours early. Yeah. I Were just you- was like, I, I'm safe at the airport. Yeah. There's guards around. I can sit in here. And it's tricky, man, because in Havana, like we were, he had a French passport and I had a Canadian passport. So if we're to talk to the police, um, there's no telling how they're going to perceive this. Right. And at the end of the day, I hate to say it, but what my understanding of how things work in Havana is that it would come down to who's offering cops the bigger. Who's got more cash. Tip. Yeah. And at that time he had all my cash. <laughs> so I wasn't winning that fight. Yeah. So I, I laid low I, I, and I just counted my blessings, man. And I was, I was so happy to be back in Vancouver when I got home. Okay. So like Evan and I are in a couple group chats together. Right. And every once in a while, like some shit pops up and I'm like, I'm hella bad on my phone and shit. And so I'll be like, and I talked to Kevin. Like, yeah, 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 I've gotten something in Havana, but like he's home now. It's okay. I'm like, all right, cool. And like with the OMT stuff, it was like, yeah, like they got it a rental car, but then they got it for this long. And then tire pops, and then I'm just like, oh man, this shit, like, this shit sounds really, really hectic. And it's good to like sit down with you and be like, yeah, this shit actually was really, really hectic. Mm-hmm. Um, so fast forward now, we're in, uh, we're now in the later stages of 2020. You have a where you're now partnered with CBC self-hired is now partnered with CBC. You've directed this film. It's coming out. Um, you're a far cry from being broke in Havana, um, with a gun to your head, theoretically, or, 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 or what's the fucking term? I don't know. Um, uh, what is that motherfucking term? Uh, metaphorically, metaphorically. Thank you. God damn shit. Late in the day. I feel like theoretically works. Yeah. Theoretically. Yeah. Um, I should have just got away with that. Anyways, you're a far cry from that. Now you're here. This documentary's coming out. You're acting like, what does your day to day look like now? Like, what are you doing now for people that are interested? Like, who's the guy filming like that's behind this whole thing? What does your day to day actually look like? Like what, are, what projects are you working on? What's life about right now? Yeah. The reality is, uh, is, uh, trying to pay rent, man. <laughs> Still out here. Yeah. Just, just, uh, music videos is, is my, is my primary thing that I, that I love and I do the most. Um, but all kinds of videos, all kinds of, of stuff, whatever self-hired needs, whether that's yeah. photography or, or podcasts and stuff like that, just yeah. being there. Um, and yeah, indie, indie productions, man. And trying to get this out, sending emails and, and a lot of like getting lost in thought of dreaming of, of, uh, of what could be right now. It's a weird limbo phase. I really feel, uh, unsettled having it not out. Yeah. I know it's there. The whole world knows it's coming or like the whole yeah community knows it's coming, but nobody knows what it actually looks like. And that'll be a big judgment day. It'll be interesting. Huge. Yeah. Then you give it away. Then it's the world's man. Yeah. That's so crazy. So, uh, for any like filmmakers, that now that you've gone through this process, you know, with your experience, like, would you, do you have any 
regrets or advice that you give them at this point like or fr now that you're standing at this point looking back at these people that might be looking to go out and partner with a cbc or a global or whoever the hell like do you have any like words of advice because i know they're listening right now uh my advice my advice something i've learned i've learned that uh as an indie production forty thousand dollars is like <laughs> It doesn't cover that much yeah, yeah. when you're when you're producing for a year and you have to legally vet something for television and you got a team of of about 15 people trying to make a documentary yeah i think uh i've learned to just ask man like this whole process was just asking for favors and i felt so annoying i think i bothered a bunch of people i i, I w would send people you know if someone didn't reply to me they'd get a Hey, just checking on that. Hey, next day. Hey, just checking on just that. Just want to make sure they didn't get lost in your inbox. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think as a documentary filmmaker, your job is to ask for favors and annoy the hell out of people. Beautiful. And I, that's something I've learned. I love that. Yeah. That's a gem right there. <laughs> that's a gem right there. Yeah. I think you're going to, I think what this film's going to do is it's just going to give people more confidence in that they have like a place to belong and an identity to sit in where it's like, I don't want to say like glorifying it, but in a way, like kind of glorifying it and being like, Hey, like this is legit. There's a lot of stories here. Like let's put some respect on the shit, you know, like, and, and having people really step up and be like, yeah, I am a tree planner. Or I was a tree planner. And that's a huge part of my identity. Right. And, and having the, the world at, at, at large kind of understand that and partnering with the biggest production. What the fuck is CBC? CBC is a, our public broadcasting network, our literally our public broadcasting network yeah. in Canada, like coming together and putting that out. That's incredible. So, uh, it airs November 7th. It's November 6th on CBC gem. So Got that's it. online gem.cbc.ca. Yeah. yeah. And then it'll be November 7th at 8 PM on television in BC and Alberta. I love it, man. So if people, if people want to get in touch with you or want to learn more, um, where would you, where would you direct them? I would say on Instagram, Absolutely. At whatever it, whatever it takes, takes yeah. son. <laughs> yeah. Fire. That's, that's it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. So, um, what's next, man? Like as you, you're still doing music videos, are you working on another film? Is there something in the pipeline? You got ideas? What do you want to work on? Like what's inspiring you creatively right now? A lot of things, uh, yeah. Music videos. I've got, I've got. Uh, there's artists in the city I still want to work with. There's, there's a few things like that. But the truth is something that you know I can't talk a lot about because it's so out, up in the air. There's been no real conversations or deals made or anything about this. But I have a great ambition to turn this into like a feature length series. Oh. I, to me, when I watch this, I feel like it's, it's a pilot episode, and and there's so much that we didn't touch on that I, I want to have the opportunity to really do that deep dive. That would be fire. Mm. Shout out Netflix. Shout out Amazon. One billion. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag one billion. Yeah. What do you know about a billy? Yeah. Okay, dope, man. Thanks for stopping by. I really appreciate it, man. And good luck on the rest of this tour. November 6th, November 7th. And uh, get ready to do a lot of podcasts, a lot of interviewing, a lot of talking about, man. Thank you, Josh. And congratulations. Cool. I appreciate you, man. That's it. You? Oh, I'm sweating. <laughs> Yo, you killed it. That's dope. Yo, thank you for checking that out. I really, really appreciate it. If you want one of these ThinkSpace journals, make sure you holler at me. Uh, we're doing a pre-order right now. Uh, if you don't pre-order, you're not going to get it. Uh, that's kind of, that's kind of, we're just doing it for the family. Uh, we'll, we'll do maybe, uh, I don't know, a hundred of them or something like that. Just for like the core, core, core listeners, the guys that really rock with us that we've had, you know, developed core relationships with. And, and so we're really excited to put that out. Uh, Ev, thank you for coming on, my man. That was fire. And uh, so excited for him to get in front of a mic and tell his story and tell that story. And if you have more questions about, you know, tree planting or or about working with Ev or working with Self-Hard or whatever it may be, just 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 slide in the DMs. You guys already know what it is. Um, as always, I want to give a special shout out to uh, our partner, not our sponsor, our partner, uh, Nature of Work, who is uh, yet yeah, fundamentally transformed how I how I work, how I operate uh, simply on the basis of giving me a new foundation to live my life. Uh, it's a six week program. Uh, rewiring your foundations around creativity, resiliency, your morning routine, uh, your meditation practices, your, your creativity cycles, your natural rhythms. It's, it's all inclusive and I highly, highly recommend it. So uh, check that out. You can go to naturalwork.co. We'll put the link in the description as always. Uh, and you can use code, I believe it's thinkspace10. I don't know. We'll figure it out um, to get 10% off your nature work program. Guys, this is like literally rewiring uh, how you live your life. 
there's a big price ticket on it, but it is worth it. I've done it literally three times. The shit is legit. Um, so go check that out. Absolutely. Uh, and that's about all for us right now. Uh, can't wait to connect with more of you. I really appreciate it. We've had like a huge resurgence um, in downloads and stuff like that. Podcast picking up a lot of steam. So, and I really appreciate everything you guys are doing. Um, uh, we're doing our best behind the scenes. Uh, shout out to Rhea uh, with the copy. Shout out to Raiden with the project management. Shout out to Juan with the editing. Shout out to Kevin with the organization, overall leadership, the creative direction. Um, shout out to the whole team, man. Really. Shit is... It's a big job to create a podcast, and I'm just super grateful, super appreciative of, uh, of the team. So uh, go hit them up. Give them a follow. Hit up Self Hired, as always, uh, and we appreciate you, the listener, the most out of everyone. So have a blessed week, and we'll talk to you soon.